okay, it's Memorial Day weekend. It's like the time that you go camping. And we're talking about tenting, which is kind of like camping, I suppose. And I don't like to camp. I'm like, oh, we have to talk about tents? We have to talk about, like, like we own a couple, but I'm like, if they stay in the garage, I'm okay. Give me a hotel. <laughs> but that's, like, missing, to, to some degree, the wonder. We need to talk about something today. We get to talk about something today that many times people just flip right over. And with that, they almost miss the very focus of the Old Testament, like, in what it's actually saying. I mean, we love to hear about the plagues, about how God rescues his people out of Egypt, how he takes them through the Red Sea, how he, he, he does all these amazing... We even like the Ten Commandments. But now the whole last third of Exodus is about one thing. And it's actually what it's been building towards. No pun intended. And that's the tabernacle. The tabernacle, the tent. And I don't know about you, but growing up, and I, I grew up in a Christian church, and, and, and this was the stuff that we really went into when we wanted to do a Sunday school lesson. I'm going to talk about all the pieces of the tabernacle, and my eyes would slowly glaze. I would dream about the treats that would be at the end of the Sunday school class. And, 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 and so today, what I want you to see, and what I'm hoping you get out of this is something really important, that, that this is a huge part of what God is actually doing And it has a huge, amazing impact on you and me. Because God's whole purpose was to dwell with his people. It wasn't just to rescue them. It wasn't to take them out across the Red Sea. It wasn't even to stop their slave. It was to be with them. And starting today, we get these instructions on how God said, I'm going to be with you. In this temporary thing that he was in that echoes what the temple would be, so it's very similar, the structure and everything that we're going to look at. These are like, and you think, well, okay, that's kind of interesting, but then we're going to get into measurements and things. What? what, Like all these details. Actually, it's really simple. There's only a few things. So much so that it's almost remarkable that God's going to dwell in in this tent that we're going to talk about, the tabernacle. And why it's so amazing, before we even start, is because of verses like this one. I I hope it's theirs and not there. It better, oh yeah, there it is. That's John chapter 1, verse 14, right? The word became flesh, talking about Jesus, and dwelt among us. That word for dwelt is literally the word for tabernacle. Jesus came and tabernacled with us. Do you know the whole, all of the the tabernacle pieces, all of the things we're going to see are these foreshadowings of God saying, I'm going to dwell with you, but this is a temporary thing. I'm pointing forward to when my son's going to come. This son that we sing about, the son we see as our only hope, is that I know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. I want to know all about Jesus. I want to know what Jesus is doing. I want to know all the pieces. I want to know everything. And it's saying this tabernacle, this dwelling, this tent, is all this stuff that points forward to Jesus. Want to know about Jesus? Come look at the tabernacle with me. That's what we're going to do, right? And even more specifically, even more amazingly, and so much so that I start to go, oh, this is a little weird, is, is look, at, look at Hebrews 
chapter 9, for Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands that are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. The whole argument of Hebrews is this tabernacle is a pattern of what? A pattern of heaven. A pattern of how God actually dwells. Like we're going to be with him in heaven. You guys want to know what it looks like. And it's not just about reading Revelation and speculating on what it means. It's actually looking at the tabernacle. Which is why it's remarkable to me that God says this is the way. You don't worship like any way. You don't say, oh, we're all, we're all just going to worship however we want. Oh, no, no. This is the thing. God says, I've got detailed instructions about what's going on. And you're going to represent this. Do you know what those are? No. You will now. Exodus is about the tabernacle. It's about pointing forward to Jesus. And it's so simple. So much so that I even have to say, before we even, we're going to do a few weeks on that, I, I have to say that it's, it, it, it's remarkable and it means something that it's so small and nothing. We are going to talk about representative things about heaven, about the God who made the worlds and the planets and the universe, and here he is and he's going to be in a tent. Don't you think the tent's going to be something like huge? Okay, the entire courtyard, the whole thing, including the building, is, a, is, is less than a, it's around a quarter acre. That's like a big house lot. That's where God's going to and, and then the actual building God's going to dwell in this tent is less than 700 square feet. It's tiny. Anyone here have more than a 700 square foot home? No, don't raise your hand. A lot of us do. And, and, and then the actual place that God's going to be in, it's going to have it's gonna, it's a 15 by 15 room. That's a bedroom. It has one thing in it. And then the other room, the only other room in this tent, ha- has three things in it. That's all. It's not like, well, the tabernacle's really complicated. I don't really get into that. What are you talking about? It's talking about four things. It's like, do you know what the four things are? No. Why not? Well, it's just kind of complicated. No, it's not complicated. That's the whole point. It's specific. It's detailed. But it's not complicated. So I want you walking away today going, I get this. I get how God, began. I, get, I get to see a little bit who God is and what he's after. And, and all these pieces start to come together because, because they're about Jesus and it's about the, the, the picture of what even Jesus is doing in heaven and, and what we're going to be doing. And, and oh, wow, you know, there's meaning here that we haven't plumbed that maybe we should look at. To, to shape who we are in our relationship with God. Why is he doing these things? What's important to him? And we get to see that in the tabernacle. So I invite you in. This is my way of sort of saying, hey, let's, let's come in and let's start. We're just going to do one chapter today. It's, it's Exodus chapter 25. So if you have your Bibles and want to follow along, you can. I'll put it on the screen too. But here we go. It, it starts out with the, just the instructions. So let's take a look. Exodus 25. So Yahweh said to Moses, so he's talking to Moses. Remember how Moses went up and he's now been, he's in 40 days and 40 nights and God's talking to him and telling him all this stuff. Wow. But this is God talking, not Moses. Speak to the people of Israel that they take from me a contribution from every man whose heart moves him. You shall receive the contribution for me. And then this is the contribution you shall receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and twined linen, goat's hair, tans, ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood, 
oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, onks, stones, and stones for setting, and the ephod and for the breastpiece. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. So this is the big deal, right? Saying, hey, no, it's, it's not required, but as your heart is moved, you want to see God in your midst? I, I, I'm going to dwell. I'm going to tabernacle. I'm going to be with you. Make me this place. That to dwell in the Hebrew means tenting. And, and it's this mind-numbing detail in material and dimensions and placement and specifics. But you'll get the picture of what's happening. And that's, this is what it means to have God with you. It's after this pattern, aimed after a heavenly tabernacle, something, and pointing to Christ. So God's not general. Hey, throw up a tent for me. No. Look, exactly as I show you, concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so you shall make it. God cares. God cares. So I want you to see this right away. That there's, what's happening is, is God is making his place and it is the holy place. Right? This is so critical for your thinking. So critical because this, this starts to impact your daily life today. Holiness has nothing to do with morality. Nothing. Chew on that. Don't accept it for him, but this is what is happening here in the Old Testament. There's holy time, there's holy space, there's holy people. There's no morality in all of that. It's not holy by ethic. You're not holy by degree. It's holy when God claims you. God says, make my holy place. He's not talking about his moral place. He's talking about a location. Holiness is about location. Right? Holiness is never an achievement. It's always a gift. And this is what the space is. God says, this is what's holy. Make it like this. Because what he's going to do is he's going to make... I, man, I, it's, it's so fun to have models. But, but we don't have one. So this is okay. So what, what he's going to do is he's going to make just one tent. Right? The tent will have two rooms. One room is going to be the holy of holies. Super holy. Why? Because it's where the actual presence of God is. And then there's going to be just one other room. It's going to be the holy place. Why is it holy? Because it's the entrance to get into the most holy place. That's all. Outside is the courtyard. So the tent is holy. Why is it holy? Because God's there. Right, that this is what God does. He says, you're going to make this place and, and it will be holy. And it's not about a workout. It's about a space. It's about a location. If God is with you, you are holy. This is the holy place. In fact, the holy of holy is going to be so difficult that, that only one person goes in once a year. It's It's holy. So really interesting to spend some time looking at what this incredible tent, tabernacle, dwelling place looks like. And what's so striking is its simplicity. This is the holy place. And this key verse that this is the holy place you will make for me. It will not be very large. It's a 15 by 15 room. That's the holy of holies. It's a 15 by 30 room. That's the, the holy place, the entrance. It has one entrance into the, the, the sort of the holy place. And then, and then one entrance into the holy of holies. And it would fit easily on the stage. It's small. 
God's going to dwell in this little nothing. Okay. In the holy place, there's a single item. The most holy of holies. The 15 by 15 room where God is. You probably know what it is. It's called an ark. It's the ark of the covenant. And then in the holy place, that second room, there's just three items. That's all. There's a table that has bread on it. There's a lampstand. And there's a little altar for incense. That's all. So, okay, well, done. We're done. Good. I kind of wanted a, a burger. Let's go out to lunch. No, these have huge meanings. Each one is very specific where God says, do it this way. Important how they help us understand the incarnation about Christ with us, about God dwelling with us. So I want to begin with the heart and center, like, like, like God in, in giving instructions. He starts there. He starts, okay, I'm going to make uh, this holy of holies, this very holy room. And the, the one thing, the only item in this room, the singular thing is this ark. So that's what he talks about first. I dare say it's a throne. Let's look. So verse 10. It says, they shall make an ark of acacia wood. Two cubits and half, and, and half shall be its length, a cubit and a half its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. Okay, stop. So, so, so well, this cubit stuff. Well, cubit is just the distance, and they were shorter than me, from your elbow to your fingertip. So for that, it's about 18 inches, about a foot and a half. So what they're talking about is, is a three and a half foot box that's two and a half foot tight and two and a half foot wide. I could carry it. It's like a large moving box. It's tiny. We're making a throne for God. Oh, let's make a little box. What? No, you be careful to do this. And it's not big. It's kind of little. It's like a, what you think of like a hope chest kind of idea. Right? That's how big it is. It says you shall overlay it with gold. And outside, so you inside and outside, and you shall make a molding of gold around it. You shall cast four rings for gold for it and put them at its four feet. Two rings on one side, two rings on the other side of it. That's so they could carry it because you couldn't touch it. It's going to be so holy. You, wow. You shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, and you shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry the ark by them. The poles shall remain in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. You just don't, you just leave it. Okay, and you shall put into the ark the testimony that I shall give you. Okay, again, these are three spheres, like, like a ripple in a pond, right? That, that the center sphere, that the, the most holy place is what we're talking about. And there's going to be a, an outer, not as holy because it's not as close. You say about location, but there's going to be the holy place. And then even outside will still be holy, the outer court. There's going to be a, a, a little wall around it, but, but all focusing in on the center, Holiness is about closeness, about location. The center is this inner sanctum, the throne room. You come into the outer court, and then you come into the single entrance, into the holy place, and in this very central, small, 15 by 15, most holy place, there's going to be a veil in there, so you can't get through it. We'll talk about that later. Incredibly holy. And, and this one and one item is called the ark. You say, what's well, an unfortunate name, because I think Noah's ark. It's not a boat. Ark of the Covenant, it's way closer than what I actually like. If you've ever seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, at least they got that piece right, right? It's kind of like that. It's a chest. 
and God says, you'll put the testimony in that I give you. That's going to be the tablets, right? Where God with his finger writes the Ten Commandments out on tablets of stone because that's the agreement, the covenant, the relationship that allows him to, and, and even what he's saying, that allows them to be even close to him. He's made an agreement with them. I will be your God. You keep this. And so it's going to be on his throne. He's going to sit on it. The icon of the covenant, the treaty being kept in the bedchamber, but that's not all. That's not all. He says, you shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be its length, and a cubit and a half its breadth. So it's going to fit over the top. So it's going to be three feet by two feet. Ish, and, and you shall make two cherubim of gold. Hammered work shall you make them on the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub on the one end and one cherub on the other end. Of one piece with the mercy seat shall you make the cherubim on its two ends. The cherubim shall spread their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings. Their faces to one another towards the mercy seat shall be the faces of the cherubim. Shall they be? And you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark. And on the ark you shall, in the ark you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. Okay, so inside is this testimony. And later on they'll put in a couple other things like Aaron's ark staff that budded and, 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 and like some manna. But, but the main piece, the main thing is these Ten Commandments. But then, but then over it is the mercy seat. The mercy seat has these two angelic beings with wings standing out looking towards the center. But you're talking about a three-foot thing. So the wings come over. So you're talking about a little space in the middle. Gold. The mercy seat where God's going to speak from there. Do you understand how pregnant with meaning it all is? You have the law there in the middle. But over it is the, the mercy seat. Mercy over the law. The atonement cover. The place of atonement. The place of propitiation. The gold plate with two angels. These two cherubim attached. They face each other. Wings stretched toward each other. Small empty space. It's the throne of God because he says, and there, and there. What does he mean there? In between where the cherubim are. This little foot long area that's so holy. You can't even look at it. But, but there it is where he says, I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat from between the two cherubim that are on the Ark of the Testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will give you commandment for the people of Israel. So the space between the wings on top of the mercy seat is where God has placed himself. He will speak from there. It's awesome. This is where the Ark gets its name, right? The Ten Commandments inside, the Ark of the Covenant. But then mercy is placed on top of it, and that's where God dwells. The law is standard. The mercy is over it. Every aspect of this, right? Isn't every aspect of this just prototypically looking forward to the, to the new covenant in Christ? Doctors are stretching. No, I'm not. Think of Romans 3.23, one of our favorite Bible verses, right? It says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified by as a gift, in the, by his grace, by the redemption that's in Jesus. But by the time you get to verse 25 of Romans chapter 3, it says, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood. What's propitiation? Mercy seat. That's the word. Christ, the mercy seat. 
This is the holy center. It points directly to Jesus. This is the meeting and speaking place, his throne, the place from which he will dwell, all taking place in the very center of the Israelite camp. The very center, because what they would do is they would have, they would have that tent right in the middle, and right in the middle of that tent is the holy place that nobody goes into, and then four tribes and four tribes and four tribes and four tribes are all gathered. The very center of everything is right there where God is. That dwelling. That's the most important thing you can ever know. The willingness of God to be where his people are, not on the highest mountain, but in a tent, in a little nothing burger, in the middle of nowhere. But it's, it's, but it's God, so it's so holy. And he's representing for us this, this holy idea of a covenant that, that's going to be the basis of everything. And, and then over, it's going to be mercy. Because Christ will be our propitiation. Okay, that's just the one room. That room you hardly got to go into, right? I, I mentioned it. We'll look at it later. But there's going to be a veil and nobody goes in except the high priest once a year. And it's not in the Bible, but in rabbinical literature, that's when they tie the rope on the guy, right? Because it's so scary. He's going to go in there and he's just going to die of all the holiness that they have the rope in so they can pull him out. You don't go in. There's only one thing, the throne of God. So representing something magnificent in heaven, God in his throne. But, but I want to show you more. So, so there's, there's this one little room, 15 by 15 room, and then there's a larger 15 by 30 room with three things. I want to hit two of them for you. Just three things. Okay, here's one of them, a table. So in the holy place, there's a table. It says, you shall make a table of acacia wood. Two cubits shall be its length. A cubit in breadth and a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold and make a molding of gold around it. And you shall make a rim around its a handbreadth wide and a molding of gold around the rim. And you shall make for it four rings of gold and fasten the rings to the four corners at its four legs. And close to the frame of the ring shall be shall lie as holders for the poles to carry the table. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, and the table shall be carried with these. And you shall make its plates and dishes for incense, its flagons and bowls with which to pour drink offerings, and you shall make them of pure gold. And you shall set the bread of the presence on the table before me regularly. Okay, so now we're outside the Holy of Holies, directly outside, the only way in. This is the entrance chamber, the holy place, and there's, there's three pieces of furniture. This is one of them, this small little golden table with rings and poles, so you don't touch it. It can be carried by the priests, and it's about three feet long and 18 inches wide. That's it. Right? It's placed on the north side of the room. It's covered in gold, there's, and then there's bread, and it's these two rows, we'll learn a little later, two rows of six loaves each, so, so 12 loaves of bread. And they would be there for a week, and then the priest would eat them on the Sabbath, on Saturday, and then they would do it again. And it's called here something special. Did you see that right at the end? It shall be called the, the bread of the presence. That's interesting. Presence, literally in Hebrew, bread of the face. I'm looking at you. We're face to face. The idea that they are in the presence of God. God is face to face with them. 
That, that's the idea, right? So, so you have this presence, this face-to-faceness, bread of the face is directly in the presence of God most holy, and these 12 unleavened loaves are placed there, and every week the priest would eat it, and because it's most holy, it communicates holiness to them. So they could come into this place, and, and then on this special day, they got to come in and eat the bread, and the bread would make them and sustain their holiness because they're face-to-face with God. That's the idea. Bread of the presence, it means soaked in holiness, in sacredness, because it's closer to God's presence, spatially, not morally. Sustaining the holiness of his people, not by what they do, but by taking in his bread. Chew on that with me for a minute, would you? Again, we're not like making stuff up. We're saying this is God on the mountain saying you're going to do exactly this. And I'm just giving you three pieces of furniture with three things to do. Here's the first thing. Make sure every week the priests take in the bread. It keeps them holy. Bread? Where have I heard anything about bread before? Something about being the bread of life. Something about the Lord's Supper. Something about God deciding to be present with bread in the Old Testament, but what a picture of Jesus, the bread of life, and the claim that we must take him in and commune in where we, as the priesthood of believers, gather around the presence of Christ, and the Spirit uses the bread of the presence of Christ, and he sanctifies us with the Son. The idea is they needed it regularly. We do too. Not as some magical thing, oh, take in holiness. No, as a reminder that our holiness is in someone outside of us. I don't have it except what I take in, the gift of God in Christ. It's amazing. And it's set up right at the beginning. It's crazy, amazing imagery, right? I mean, I mean, it, it's all over this sort of imagery as Jesus comes, like in Luke 6. You remember Luke 6 where Jesus is, is walking and the Pharisees are mad at him because he's, he's let his disciples grab some, some handfuls of wheat to chew on. By the way, if you're so hungry they're eating eat little leaves of wheat, they taste terrible. It's not bread. And they're so mad. So how can you on Sabbath, they're, they're harvesting. And Jesus gives them this whole story about how David broke into the, to, to, went into this holy room and took the showbread, the bread of the presence, and, and gave it to his mighty men to eat there. And Jesus says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. The holiness you're about is about me. But at the same time, he's the Davidic king. He's David, all pointed to, the priest, the king, the, he's everything. And, and so I can do what I want, right? Like David and his mighty men. And he's pointing to this particular thing about the bread and how the bread is able to be eaten by whoever Christ desires. It, it, it's, it's amazing. Then you have the book of Hebrews, where as priests we are brought into the holy place and nourished with the bread, which is Christ himself. All of this orchestrated so we can see it thousands of years ago. I mean, this is what I forget. I forget this is, this is what, 4,000 years ago? That God says, do it exactly this way because, because my son is going to come. And the things you need to know are these things. Okay, one more piece. We're talking about the tabernacle. The Holy of Holies, just the ark. And then separate from this holy place, which is the entrance in, just three pieces of furniture. And one is the table for the bread of the presence. It's incredible, pointing to Christ, the bread of life. The, the next piece is the lampstand. 
the lampstand. So we'll end with this one. But there's, this is the second piece of furniture there. You shall make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand shall be made of, of hammered work. Its base, its stem, its cups, its calyxes, its flowers shall be of one piece with it. And there shall be six branches going out of its side and three branches of lampstand of one side and three branches of lampstand out of the other side of it. Three cups made like almond blossoms, each with calyx and flower on one branch, and three cups made like almond blossoms, each with calyx and flower on the other branch. So for the six branches going out of the lampstand. And on the lampstand itself, there shall be four cups made like almond blossoms with their calyxes and flowers. And a calyx of one piece with under each pair of the six branches going out from the lampstand. Their calyxes and their branches shall be one piece with it, the whole of it a single piece of hammered work of pure gold. And see, you shall make seven lamps for it. The lamps shall be set up so as to give light in the space in front of it. Its tongs and their trays shall be of pure gold. It shall be made with all these utensils out of a talent of pure gold. And see that you make them after the pattern of them for them, which is being shown you on the mountain. Okay, again, I don't know about you. I start reading that, and as soon as he says calyxes for the fourth time, I'm sleeping. It's like, oh, okay, okay it's a lamp. It's a lampstand. No, okay, so true, this is one of the main only pieces of furniture. God says you need to learn something from this. It, it, it's, it's, for one, a talent of pure gold. That means 90 pounds of gold. Very valuable. Hard to carry. And they're supposed to make it out of one piece. And they said, and the word they use is stalk, and then they use branches. These are nature imagers, right? This is the thing that says it's a tree. It's, it's representing a tree that comes out with seven branches, the middle one and three on each side. And then it ends in a floral imagery of all these cups of, of almond blossoms. And you're going to run light and, and oil in each of those, and it's going to be lit day and night. What is it? What is this description? I mean, you got to know, there's no windows in the tabernacle. This is the only light. It's not just practical, though, because it's lit. It remained all night. It's like lights that never go out. It'd be like keeping these lights on in the church day and night and never turning them off. It's later going to be called in the temple, very similar thing, a menorah. So immediately you go, oh, it's a Jewish thing. Forget it. No, it's actually... It's all this nature imagery, right? The stalk, the branches, the branches of a tree. This is a floral description of the cups. This imagery that takes identification between this, this lampstand and something called the tree of life. It's a tree. It's a depiction of a tree. It's the seven arms of theological perfection. It's this number that means it's, it's, it's done, it's finished. It's a, a beautiful tree of life sitting there made. So it points back to the Garden of Eden. By the way, Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, prototypical human people, dwelling with who? Oh, God. They're with God, dwelling with his people. He'd come and in the garden, in the cool, and says, hey, where are you guys? I'm dwelling with you. 
And now fallenness and sin and horribleness and terribleness and all over and it's gone. And, and, and then all of a sudden here you've got God saying, I'm going to dwell with my people. I'm going to recreate a little bit of Eden and the fallenness of everything. What am I going to do? I'm going to have this ark that by which I can have a relationship with you. It's going to take a ton of mercy. And then I'm going to have this lampstand over here. This lampstand is a tree of life like the Garden of Eden. Connects creation in the tabernacle, a tree of life for illumination. The first thing that was called good in Genesis was light. Go look it up. And, and now light shining in a dark place. Boy, I'll tell you, this way to make it. These seven branches of the tree of life that point to Eden. So, so as a tree of life stood in Eden, in the first tabernacle, the special place, God's own space that would be with God, a special place for his creation. And, and now here it is. The fruit of this tree being light itself. You see connections, right? For one, with the Holy Spirit. The seven branches in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Holy Spirit's referred to in a light or in a sun fashion. Take, take Isaiah 11. Remember Isaiah 11? Isaiah 11 is a prophecy about Jesus. It's talking about the shoot that's going to come up, uh, the Messiah. And then it says there's going to be on him a spirit, and it's a sevenfold uh, little description of the spirit that's going to be on him. Spirit of Lord, spirit of illumination, spirit of, spirit of, 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 of might, spirit of strength, spirit of, of wisdom, of understanding, of counsel, and, and fear of the Lord. This sevenfold accent resting on the son of David, on Messiah. You get in Revelation chapter 1. You know chapter 1, right? You can read all over. But, but here, John sees a vision, and he sees this spirits before the throne of God. You could say the sevenfold spirit. My favorite is Revelation 4, 5. It talks about the throne of God. You can read it later. Flash and peals of thunder and these seven lamps before the throne. Seven lamps before the throne of God. What could it possibly refer to? Well, that's the picture of this tabernacle. Yeah. No idea what that is. Is it Amber Alert? Hope they get what they need. Over and over, right? The lamp stands, this, this, this idea of, of the midst Christ dressed as the high priest because he's their light and, and Christ who is the light of the world and he's there also at the tree of life. It's all replaced in, in, in Christ. Light is here, the rising sun, the night is over and this escalation, this always from lesser to more, this little lamp, this little tiny thing that even I don't really care about that. It's a little thing and it's gone and it's long gone. No, it's representing something huge that's coming and it's representing something massive in heaven. This is how God is. Light, it's going to be amplified because Christ is the light of the world. Light to the Gentiles, that's me and you. The light I walk in is a light of exposure. It exposes my darkness, but it also shows me the only hope that I have. We walk in the light, not doing good, being exposed, naming sin, hoping in the mercy of God because that's my mercy seat. It gives you a whole different thing. of What is this Christian thing about? It's about mercy. It's Christ's light who exposes us, but also gives us the hope that our sin will be gone by his mercy and his blood on us. So I, I, I'll stop there this morning. I just want you to start to feel this. 
it's not dry. It's not a bunch of extra details that we want to like, man, I wish, wish it was over. This is amazing. The beginning of this incredible dwelling place. So it's not just about God taking his people away from slavery. See, this is what it's about. God with his people to Exodus, and the Exodus is towards God dwelling with us. And then we have this amazing picture of what God's actually doing. And in fact, you have the whole picture of it when Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember that? And Jesus is up there, and there's Moses on one side, and there's Elijah on the other side, and, and Peter's there, and he records, say, and there Jesus is talking about his Exodus. He's talking about the Exodus. He's talking about this. He's talking about the Exodus, and the Exodus has the point of how you're going to dwell with, with his people forever. The whole point is for God to dwell with his people because deliverance has a purpose, and, and the purpose is dwelling like he did in Eden, a restoration like he will in the future, us with him, pointing forward to the incredible, amazing Jesus who, who came for us. Our hope, right, is Christ with us. Christ with us, the hope of glory. Our holiness is Christ in us, sealed with the Holy Spirit. Where Christ is, there is life. Why? Because that's what life is, is being in Christ. And by trusting this incredible truth, the gospel, we have all these things right now today. This isn't the idea that, boy, you got to clean up and make sure you can get to God. This is God saying, this is what holiness is, being near me. And I, as a New Testament believer, says, how am I near to God? Do you realize what we did today on the stage? Molly broke her string. Tracy prayed. How can she just come right into the presence of God? How can she just go right in and say, God, please, please be with us? She's not special. She hasn't done something special to be more close to God than me. I'm the pastor. Only the pastor should pray. Are you kidding? No way. We go right into the presence. How can we do that? How can we come into the presence of God? How do you and I know that Jesus hears me? How do I know that he's for me? How do I have hope for the every day, even no matter what happens to me? Do you know what it all is? It's that I know deep in my heart, I have, I have the ability to be right in God's presence. Why? Because of Jesus. He's what it's all about. The mercy seat, which points to the mercy of his blood that's sprinkled, the, 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 the light of the world shining out, the bread of life that's sitting right there. Everything, everything from thousands of years ago, God puts all these pictures to say, do you realize it's all about my son who's coming? And you know what? You've got him. You've got him. He's for you. You can trust him. Come back to Christ. He's absolutely everything because as we look at these items, these patterns, what breaks into pieces, you know what breaks into pieces? This craziness that we get into that holiness is about you making yourself good. Christianity is nowhere even close to some self-help sanctification. Some, I'm going to present myself nicely before God by being all kind and good. It's too late. Your only hope for holiness, the incredible, real holiness that is God's presence is Christ and him crucified for you. This is a location. It's you being near to God and your nearness to God is by one and only one thing, imaged in the mercy seat over the law, by atonement, in the bread eaten, in the light received, in Christ alone. He's so much more than we can imagine and that's a really good thing. So as you live today, Live in that light, would you? Start to see that this book is about the wonder of Christ for you, the hope of glory. 
that his holiness is for you, that his light shines on you, that his bread sustains you, and that he will receive us forever in a place way grander than the tabernacle ever was. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for these images that you gave us. Thank you for how they point to Jesus. And Lord, I pray as we go through these things in the Old Testament, as we see the depth of what you've done, that our hearts might be enlivened, that we might be more amazed than we've ever been about how you planned it all to give us Jesus. And Lord, we put our trust and hope in him. In your precious name we pray. Amen.